You're listening to Greater L.A. from KCRW, the show that connects you to the people and places of Southern California. Hi, I'm Steve Chiatakis. Nothing but lawns and walking trails as far as the eye can see at the Sepulveda Basin in Encino. If you walk a bit off the beaten path and down this steep hill, you can just catch a glimpse of the L.A. River. But it's not the trickling concrete channel that you're probably picturing. This part is a naturally babbling brook weaving around rocks in between trees. You can go kayaking along it like we did in 2021 and see all the wildlife there. He's on the prowl. Yeah, he wants some fish. There's a debate going on right now about how to make the whole river more accessible. On one side is a nonprofit called the River Project, which advocates for restoring the original river ecosystem that Angelinos enjoyed 100 years ago. Its founder is Melanie Winter. We're looking for more open space in communities that lack them. We're looking to secure local water supply. There's never been a better opportunity to show how important the river is to a climate-resilient Los Angeles. On the other side are people like Genevieve Osmania, a civil engineer with the county's Department of Public Works. She says it's a bit more complicated than that. After all, the county originally prioritized flood management for a reason. It needs to flow to provide these um, adjacent communities uh, with the protection that they need um, so that they're not you know, worried about floodwaters um, damaging their property, uh, their infrastructure, um, or their houses, and then also their lives. But that's not stopping people like Winter from dreaming big, even reimagining L.A.'s relationship with its straight-jacketed river. KCRW's Kaylee Wells picks up the story from here. Melanie Winter's dream for the L.A. River involves no concrete, no steep walls, a natural, uninterrupted public space. Think Central Park, but in L.A. and with a big river in the middle. Sound too good to be true? It actually already exists here at the Sepulveda Basin. It has become the place that I bring people to talk about the river because we're sitting in the middle of a 2,000-acre, undeveloped, federally-owned piece of property that's designed to flood. For at least one of the river's 51 miles, the river is completely natural. It smells like mud and wet plants. And when I walk the 50 feet from a grassy lawn to the riverbank, the temperature instantly plummets 10 degrees. If you allow the water to slow down, you're gonna get healthier soils. You're gonna get groundwater recharge. You're gonna get richer habitats. You're gonna get reduced fire risk. And because you're allowing the river more space within this vast open space, you're gonna get more flood detention capacity. So you're checking every box simply by asking the right questions. Winter has devoted the last 30 years of her life to asking the right questions. When the county asked for proposals on how to reimagine the river in the Sepulveda Basin, her nonprofit was one of the ones that submitted. What does the water want to do on the site? What did it do historically? What would it, how would it behave if we hadn't intervened? The county says community members have told them they want a more natural open river with trails and trees. Today, most of the river is still concrete, and the current plan for the river is to keep it that way because changing it would mean a complete overhaul of our decades-old urban environment. Here's Osmania with the county again. 
the river would have to be widened anywhere from three to seven times to provide that more natural river, I think that um, folks might be uh, really wanting. Simply put, when it rains, rivers flood, and that's normal, but you've got to leave room for it to do that. That room is called a floodplain, but when we started lining the river with concrete 85 years ago, it allowed thousands of people to build their homes safely in that floodplain. The urban community that we have, uh, it was allowed to sort of thrive and sprawl up through the last century, sort of because of the flood protection that was provided. So now we're kind of stuck. Returning to a natural river would mean relocating blocks of neighborhoods along the river's 51 miles from the valley to where it meets the ocean in Long Beach. I think that same proposal, if presented that way, uh, would be called by something different. It would be called displacement. It's a sacrifice that I'm not sure um, all communities or all you know, neighborhoods um, would be uh, willing to accept or or volunteer for. <laughs> Winter says she's heard that argument before, but... These communities that you say would be displaced by floodplain reclamation will be displaced in a much more violent way if we don't do something. She's talking about the worsening storms and flooding brought on by the climate crisis. I've always, you know, said nature bats last. The idea being any infrastructure trying to control nature fails eventually. Water always wins. These engineering marvels have a shelf life and sometimes they create more problems than they solve. So the entire system is not built for what we're facing. Scientists have run the numbers, and in a thousand-year atmospheric river flood, cleverly named an arc storm, the LA River could overflow, forcing thousands of people living in its natural floodplain to evacuate and face devastating damages. Osmania with L.A. County says as the climate crisis makes extreme weather more common, they're aiming to design the river to withstand a hundred-year storm. Still a far cry from an arc storm. So it's a very high flood risk need. And so, um, and that just requires a lot of extra uh, care and a lot of extra thought put into how to make sure that this channel can still carry the flows. So stakeholders are faced with this question. Do you make the best river for the planet's health? or the best river for the safety of the people living near it. There's something in the middle. Candace Dickens-Russell is the CEO of Friends of the LA River. She also lives in Downey, right on the river, in the floodplain. We don't believe that nature-based solutions and safety are mutually exclusive. And it's, it's tough to go to the table with the city and be like, so when are we going to get these folks to move? That's a little tough to do. Osmania with the county took me to see an example of this middle ground in Long Beach, about a dozen miles before the river meets the ocean. This used to be a sort of underutilized uh, water quality basin or a detention pond. Behind us is the empty concrete channel. In front of us is a thriving man-made wetland that the county created in the late 90s. Most days, the water flow is low enough that officials can divert it through this wetland that they made. Water slows down, meanders through the vegetation, which cleans the water and cools the hikers, cyclists, and horseback riders using the nearby trail. As well as foster, uh, you know, habitat, an ecosystem. Um, you know, uh, it attracted, I think, a lot more uh, biodiverse uh, range of animals, birds. I think people come here to watch birds. If a big storm hits that risks flooding, it can go back to the concrete channel. It checks some of the nature boxes and the safety box, like Dickens-Russell wants to see. How closely can we get to nature-based solutions? How close can we get 
to a natural um, kind of kind of look, kind of feel um, safely? How closely can we get to, to that safely? Having access to the land to do this kind of thing is rare, but in Cypress Park and Glassell Park, and where the Rio Hondo meets the river on the edges of Downey, Southgate, and Linwood, the county has already found a few other chunks of the river to try out bringing nature to the parts of town that need it most. For KCRW, I'm Kaylee Wells. Well, nature, the key word here, and the L.A. River is busy these days, my friend. Rain and snow have fallen and are falling again, and SoCal is a palm tree winter wonderland. The mountains, as you may have noticed, are blanketed with snow at elevations lower than anything we've seen in many years. There were even some icy snow-like pellets on Mount Lee, where the Hollywood sign is. Unfortunately, the power is still out for thousands of DWP customers, and blizzard warnings have been in effect. Mammoth Lakes up in the Sierras is under a warning right now, and Lauren Burke is communications director at the Mammoth Mountain Ski Area. Hey, Lauren. Hi, Steve. Closer to home, Big Bear Lake had a warning, a blizzard warning over the weekend. That's where Kathy Porty of the Big Bear Grizzly is. Hey, Kathy. Hi, Steve. And Kathy, I'll start with you. I mean, what kind of snow are you digging yourself out of right now in Big Bear? It's got to be crazy. It, it's the nice, fine, powdery snow that that we prefer to have if we're going to have to dig ourselves out. Um, we had um, about uh, 38 inches of snow in the the at what we would call town level, and but up at the top of the resort, we had um, 63 inches in this last storm. That's more than five feet of snow. Give us give us a visual, Kathy. I mean, what does it look like around Big Bear right now? I mean, obviously the roads I would imagine have been plowed, but there are big snow banks on either side. Is that right? There are. We have we have snow berms on the sides of the roads that that are up to eight feet in some areas. Oh, um, wow. You know the the roads to Big Bear are still closed. So if you're trying to get to Big Bear, if you're one of those who's like, oh my god, they had a big snowstorm up in Big Bear. Um, let's go skiing, right? You can't really get up there. Yeah, there, there's there's really no way to get up here safely right now. I, and I would say uh, to to continue to be safe is to wait until after this next storm passes because we're expecting between one and a half to two feet of snow through Wednesday night. Um, so I would wait for the weekend. Wait for the weekend. Hopefully the roads will be cleared by then. What what are folks saying up there, Kathy? Like, has has anyone seen anything like this before? Um, you know, actually, it's 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 not the worst storm that I've even encountered. Um, it it didn't make our top four according to the National Weather Service. The worst storm would be um, that they have since they've recorded these type of things was back in 1979, and uh, but this is you know it's 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 bad enough and. Uh, a lot of people have had some significant problems. The um, and then, of course, the the roads being closed to Big Bear. Um, uh, even there are even some residents who were down the hill uh, who who can't get back home. Lauren, I've seen Instagram videos of people. I mean, like it, it looks like some kind of snowpocalypse <laughs> up in Mammoth, where where you can't like your house is completely buried. Is, yes. is that what, I mean, can, can you even get through that? Can you even walk in Mammoth right now? 
Snowpocalypse is a very good way to describe the conditions, and it feels like we've been in the snowpocalypse since the holidays. I mean, we've hit, we've almost hit 500 inches of snow at our at our main lodge this season, wow. which is well above our season average. Each season, we average about 400 inches, and there's a whole lot, whole lot more snow to come. Uh, every single street sign is buried right now. We're seeing condos where the snow is well above the second story of the condo and um, we are expecting to see five plus feet more of snow this week on top of the five-ish feet that we got last week so it's been quite the season up here how do you even dig out of that lauren like like a snowblower is not going to do very well with something like that right Yeah, you know, it's an incredible amount of work to even get out of your house some of these days. So the work that's being done by the town of Mammoth Lakes, by Caltrans, by the Mammoth Mountain snow removal, it requires every piece of equipment in everyone's arsenal to keep the roads cleared, the sidewalks cleared, the bus stops accessible, the access roads to the mountain available. But I'm so impressed by the work that everybody's put in this season. And um, it feels like there's no end in sight. But when we do get those blue sky weeks, it's been so good out there. Okay, so the snow is one thing and you're just buried in it right now. But then, you know, Mammoth is a ski resort, right? I mean, there are there are so many ways to, to, to take in all that powder. And it's like, is it is it valuable at some point? You're like, oh, my God, all this snow is amazing. Or is it like this is so much snow, it doesn't even do us any good for skiing? Yeah, you know, uh, this amount of snow can definitely be really challenging. But here in California, in the Sierras, we are grateful for every drop of snow that we get here. We've had some low snow years the past couple of years. So to see a return to this level of snowfall is good news for everyone. And it's tough when you're in the middle of these major storm cycles that are dropping 5 to 10 feet of snow. But once you can play a little bit of catch up, get dug out, get to the mountain, the skiing and riding has been, you know, we've had some of the best days we've had in the last 10 years up here. What about you, Kathy? How, how are the folks in Big like the ski resorts, how are they handling all of this? They're handling it pretty well. They, you know, it's they're open. Um, so locals are getting a lot of freshies, I guess you could say, and, and getting the, the benefit of, of, of being able to, to go skiing and snowboarding uh, without the big crowds, and uh, which we, you know, expect to see this weekend. So, Everyone is taking it pretty well, you know. There, there's some frustration, uh, obviously, because we don't get the anywhere near the type of snow that Mammoth does. And when we get this much all at once, it does kind of put a stop on things. And and you know, we're, we're used to having small storms uh, throughout the year instead of throughout the winter instead of uh, a significant storm like this. But when you get something like bet- between four and five feet of snow over the course of a, a couple of days that um, it does kind of slow things down. And it's kind of a break for us, actually, from from all the, the people coming up to enjoy the snow. But then you, you, you batten down the hatches, right, waiting for the people to come when it clears out. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Same for you, Lauren. So you're going to get, I guess, a string of some clear days after this week. You're, you're, you're battening down those hatches, aren't you? 
<laughs> yes, definitely. We've seen huge demand for skiing and riding this season, especially because we were able to open early with early season snowfall, and then it just feels like it it hasn't turned off. Um, the highway was closed into Mammoth over the weekend, which definitely provided some challenges for travelers looking to either come to Mammoth or leave Mammoth, but the highway did reopen yesterday. We are expecting to see potential highway closures the next few days during this blizzard, um, but it does look like we should have at least least a couple days of, of blue skies following this storm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, we're looking like one or two days ahead this at this time of the year. Just like, okay, what do we have to do to get through the next few days? That's all you can do. Lauren Burke, Communications Director over at the Mammoth Mountain Ski Area. Kathy Porty over at the Big Bear Grizzly, closer to our neck of the woods. Thanks to you both for coming on and talking with us. And, and stay warm and stay dry and, and stay dug out. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. By the way, we hope you can join us online anytime at kcrw.com slash GLA. Coming up on Greater L.A., the race to replace Senator Dianne Feinstein runs through Orange County. How O.C.'s Katie Porter and L.A.'s Adam Schiff are hoping to tap into the more purple suburbia. Gustavo Ariano's in after this short break. Introducing the KCRW Donation Car, designed to be recycled. This first-of-its-kind vehicle will save you time, space, and hassle by disappearing. Enjoy the luxury and comfort of turning your underused car into a donation worth hundreds, even thousands of dollars. The KCRW Donation Car, already in your garage, driveway, or on cinder blocks outside your house. Act now at kcrw.com cars. Onward now with Greater L.A. on KCRW. Steve Chiotek is here with Dianne Feinstein not seeking re-election. The two frontrunners seeking her Senate seat made their cases in Orange County. O.C. Congresswoman Katie Porter was the first to announce her candidacy to replace Feinstein. Back in November, the Democrat won re-election in a very tight race for the 47th District. Meanwhile, L.A. area Congressman Adam Schiff took his Senate campaign to Porter's backyard. Gustavo Ariano is columnist of the L.A. Times and one of our regulars here on GLA. Hey, Gustavo. Hola, Steve. So Katie Porter was first elected to Congress in that, you know, blue wave of 2018. Give us a quick bio, a primer of Katie Porter. Yeah, really interesting story. So originally from Iowa, born and raised there, goes to the East Coast of the Ivy Leagues to get her law degree, comes to Orange County, I think about 2011, to become a professor at UC Irvine School of Law, very famous progressive institution there, but wasn't really involved in party politics. I mean, I was covering Orange County a lot then, and then all of a sudden in 2018, her name starts bubbling up. Everyone's like, uh, who is she? And then she won, and then she became this unlikely superstar. Speaking of Irvine, guess who was in Irvine a few days ago campaigning for Senate? A guy named Adam Schiff, who <laughs> is not of Orange County, but of next door L.A. County. How's that gone over? Yeah, that was really bold on Schiff's part. But it also shows that he knows that 
Katie Porter represents a threat to him. Of course, Adam Schiff, very famous Congress member from uh, from the Burbank, Glendale area around that region, uh, you know, ran the proceedings of impeachment against Trump. And you would think he'd be a shoo in. Uh, he already has the endorsement of Nancy Pelosi, but. You know, Katie Porter seems to really have a lot of momentum behind her. So Schiff going to Orange County. And I I don't I know he's visited in the past, but this was again, this is pretty prominent. All right. We're in early 2023. This election isn't until later in 2024. (laughs) Of course, there's polling now. um, But this early, it's kind of ridiculous. But we also have others who are running in this senatorial election as well. Rokana, Barbara Lee, um, Schiff. And Porter are both neck and neck as front runners in the race. Talk a little bit about that poll. Yeah, so this is a poll that came out from what, one of Berkeley's institutes. And yes, it is super, super early, but it's also important right now to see who's going to be running. And because you have to raise millions of dollars, this is a U.S. Senate seat. This is not a congressional seat. This is something across the state. Remember the last time that happened was Kamala Harris, uh, for the most part, wiping the floor against her opponent. Another Orange County Democrat, by the way, Loretta Sanchez, another former Congress member. And so the fact that Schiff and Porter are so ahead uh, so far that shows that maybe other candidates are going to realize well maybe i shouldn't run because it will be a waste of my money and i just don't have a chance against them and also it'll show schiff and porter then maybe i could get them early the people who are already wanting to run i should get them on my side and they'll just um uh, bump up my own uh, name recognition with uh maybe constituencies that right now are kind of wary of me I mean, speaking of money, Schiff's got a lot of it. He's got $20 million, right, as, as a war chest. He's sitting in a safe seat, as you mentioned, over in Burbank. So at least financially, he's in a very strong position, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the polling shows that Schiff, even though Schiff and Porter are neck and neck, Schiff has much more support among older voters. And guess who usually votes an election? O- older voters. And Porter has always been, even though she is very popular in Orange County District, she's won every single year since 2018. She seems to have more of the a national following in the sense that people get very excited with her. She gets small donations from all across the country, very much in the model of one of her former law professors, Elizabeth Warren. So and also younger people, she is more of the progressive than Schiff, but younger people, younger progressives, they're the ones who are a little bit more fickle when it comes to the ballot box. So I would say at this point, if it, if this continues and they make it into the general election, of course, that's what, a year and a half away, November 24, she's going to have the harder time against Schiff to motivate her base. Are there any Republicans in this race that have announced yet? No one has announced yet. And I don't think any Republican official will really an earnest try because they have no chance. I mean, no Republican has won a statewide seat in over a decade. And I think maybe, though, maybe you do get a celebrity or a self-funded billionaire. Maybe, hey, Rick Caruso, he spent a hundred and some million dollars to run for mayor mayor of Los Angeles. Maybe he could spend a 200 some million to be the next U.S. Hmm. senator. He, he he has not pointed to any intentions, though, of doing that. Let's, <laughs> I let's make that, that clear. You do predict it. All right. Well, that's a bold prediction. Um, Again, very early. I suspect there will be a Republican or two throwing hats in the ring, but we we shall see. Um, What about Katie Porter? Do you think she can win? I do. I do. But again, I think I qualify that with 
the reality that younger progressive voters are harder to bring out to the ballot box than uh, older uh, voters, whether Republican or Democrat. And it's also 2024. Biden, of course, is expected to announce that he wants to run for reelection. So the Biden team, you know, and the Biden team and the Biden supporters are probably going to be more like Schiff supporters. But again, we're a year and a half away from anything. So maybe we'll have other candidates come and this whole thing is moved. Gustavo Ariano, columnist for the L.A. Times, of course, every week joins us here on KCRW's Orange County Line. Gustavo, as always, thanks. Gracias. That's going to do it for us this evening. Tomorrow, an ICE facility in the Central Valley holds undocumented immigrants. It also pays people being held there to work. How much? Like a buck a day. We're going to have the story for you tomorrow on Greater L.A. Have something on your mind? Maybe even a story idea for us? Get in touch with us at kcrw.com slash GLA. There you can also get the podcast as well, or you can get the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Just search KCRW Greater L.A. Juliana Mayo, Nihar Patel, Phil Richards, PJ Shahamet, Sonia Geis, John Meek, Amy Ta, Carlos Ramirez, Michael Stark, and Christian Bordall. All had hands and ears on this evening's episode. I'm Steve Chitakis. Thank you for your time and your ear. Have a great night.